Once upon a time, a man and a woman married, and they were really very much in love, cared for each other so very much. And she uh, just basked in the warmth of his love for her. That said, he had some peculiarities about him. He was a neat freak. He had this thing about messy rooms and messy closets and messy houses. She would often wander into the kitchen only to find him alphabetizing the spice rack. His garage floor was spotless. You could eat off it. And I mean, at first it really wasn't anything because they loved each other so very much. But as time passed, he began to get just more fastidious about this kind of thing. So much so that he would like follow her around, picking up after her. She wasn't even finished with what she was doing. If she was preparing dinner or something, I mean, he would like to start picking up after her almost crowding her out and it was just it was just kind of on the you know borderline of being obsessive about this sort of thing and and so she would come home and she wasn't able to relax anymore she wasn't able to just because she more and more felt oppressed by his obsession and 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 the more you know he would uh, uh, judge her in picking up after her, the more she felt inadequate. And, and the subtle message was, you're a slob. You're a slob. And she just kind of felt, she started shrinking beneath this kind of oppression. And, and it kind of became a problem. And then, then she started pushing back. And, and, and she, her, her oppression started, she started feeling just you know, aggravated by it. And, and, and she would just have these fantasies. I mean, she, she could just see herself taking the garbage and throwing it all over the living room floor, just despite him, you know? And she never thought like this before, but it just kept growing. And, 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 you know, the more he judged her, the more she would want to resist and rebel. And, and so he would direct and correct, and she would resist and rebel. And this cycle just kept going round and round and round. And it was just not now it became a problem, you see. And the irony was this. The irony is this. If he would just stop noticing, she called him Mr. Notice-it-all. If, if he would just stop noticing, there's a high probability that she would just be neater, you see. You ever seen that? You ever lived that? What is that? What is, what is that? Oh, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about that. What is that? That is a couple at a crossroads, and they have a decision to make, and the decision is this. Are we going to choose grace, or are we going to choose law? Which is it going to be? Is it going to be grace? Or is it going to be law? That's what that is. And I want to talk about that today. And so here's my cards. Right out on the table. 
A healthy, loving, lasting marriage is one that chooses grace over law. A healthy, loving, lasting marriage is one that chooses grace over law. That's it. That's the big idea for today. That's what I want you to remember if you don't remember anything else. Grace over law. Now, you all are intelligent enough to know that this big idea is bigger than just marriage in and of itself. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about how we treat people. We're talking about um, uh, how friendships go. We're talking about the kind of environment that needs to create that's needed to create a healthy environment at the office. We're talking about an environment that is, you know, have you ever been to a law church? See? You ever been to a grace church? I, we're, we're, want, we're going grace here. This is our goal. This is our passion. The grace of Jesus as we passionately pursue Him. Healthy, loving, lasting marriages choose grace over law. What's the difference between the two? Well, that's, that, that, this is where we're going today. I want to answer three questions. They're in your outline. The first question is, what does it mean to choose grace? What is choosing grace? What is grace? I want to answer that question. Second question is this. What's the significance? What's the importance of it? Why is it so important that we choose grace? That's question number two. And then question number three is, what does choosing grace look like in real life? Okay? Those three questions are what I hope to answer today. Let's, let's start with the first one. What do I mean by choosing grace? Um, not long ago, I uh, found a book, great book, by um, an author named Paul Zoll. Paul Zoll. Paul F.M. Zoll. Kind of breaks that up a little bit, doesn't it? Paul Zoll wrote a book called Grace in Practice. I love his uh, string of definitions regarding grace. Grace. Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. It's being loved when you are the opposite of lovable. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything to do with the lover. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts, whatever they may be. It has nothing to do with my value. Uh, Bobby Rio, name familiar to any of you? Bobby Rio, he was a singer in the 60s. Bobby Rio and the Ravels had a song, a single, that it cut into the top 30. 1965, his song was Value for Love. Value for Love. I go out to the dance with the no one. I come home from the dance with the no one. Oh, why won't someone please take a long look at me? I give value 
for love given to me. I would if we had a band. Um, it, would, it would sound a lot better with a band. No, it wouldn't. Those are awful lyrics. <laughs> They're just terrible. Because that's not grace. That's not. Grace is a decision on the part of the giver. The one who loves. In relation to the receiver, the one who is loved, that nullifies any qualifications the receiver might have. Furthermore, grace derives its origin not from my spouse or not from my spouse's behavior. Grace derives its origin from God. So grace flows from God through me to my spouse. Which leads me to the, the, the best, most succinct definition that Paul Zoll gives. He says grace is one-way love. One-way love. You think about those moments in your life when you have uh, been flooded with happiness. You've, you've been flooded with, with uh, just uh, joy. Hasn't it almost always, always, haven't they come from outside yourself? You've gotten love and encouragement. You've received affirmation and hope from outside yourself, from, from someone else. You were, you were at the end of your rope. You were, you were in need, and someone came and pulled you out. You, you felt ugly. You felt insignificant. You felt down. You felt like a failure. You felt like your confidence was sinking. And in that moment, someone gave you grace. I believe in you. I care about you. You matter to me. You matter to so many. And those words turned your Good Friday into Resurrection Sunday. Now you think about that. Think about the power that you have in your relationships, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your work relationships. Think about the power you have with your words to breathe life, to, to take someone out of their Good Friday and give them Resurrection Easter Sunday hope with words of grace, one-way love. Choosing grace always lifts others up. And choosing grace will lift your spouse up. Choosing grace cures. Choosing grace heals. Choosing grace transforms. And choosing grace is by far the better choice than the alternative. And that leads me to question number two. What's the significance of choosing grace. What's so important about choosing grace? Well, the significance is that there's an alternative. One alternative. It's not like I've got a choice between choosing grace and a hundred other choices. Oh, no, no. It's choosing grace or choosing something else. What is that something else? That something else is law. Law. 
So just as we talked about what grace is, we ought to define law. What is law? Law is a judgment. Law is a demand. Law is an order. Law is a directive. Law is a decree. And typically, law is delivered in second person. Starts with you. You're messy. You need to clean up. Straighten up. You're late. Be on time. You're over budget. Spend less. You drive too fast. You drive too slow. You put the Charmins on the wrong way. You put it on this way. You don't put it on that way. Do it right. You put the dishes in the dishwasher wrong. Come on. You put the dishes in, away in the cabinet wrong. You start this, but you never finish it. Your clothes don't match. You ate in my car. You took you took food up to our bedroom. We don't take food up to the bedroom. Do I sleep on the dining room table? No, do this right. This is law. This is law. And typically relationships devolve from grace to law if nothing else happens. They just kind of drift to law. We drift to law. And why is that? Why is that? One thought is that, uh, you know, in the initial season of courtship or in marriage, I'm just so excited that someone's excited with me. (laughs) You know, she's so pretty and she's paying attention to me. Wow. He's so handsome and and he's, you know, I feel so honored by that. And who am I that he should desire me? You know, that kind of thing really. But as time passes, you know, we kind of tend to take those thoughts and feelings and the, pleasure, uh, the pleasures associated with them for granted. So, and, and, you know, someone once said, familiarity breeds contempt. I'm not so sure about that, but familiarity sure does breed indifference. And, and the joy and the euphoria that we feel over this person who is so interested in us, well, we get acclimated to that, don't we? We get used to that. And the acclimation then becomes an expectation. And the expectation quickly morphs into legislation. And that becomes law. See? Law. And so law seeks compliance by means of the tone and the volume of your voice, the power of your argument, the infliction of guilt. Law feels, um, law wants cooperation from your spouse. And law says that cooperation is dependent on your patrol tactics. Well, does that work? Actually, it does. For just a little bit. Just a little bit. See, then it kind of wears off. Then, then what happens? Well, they need more law. See, to get about the same amount of compliance. And then, see, there's this resistance that's built up, right? So, it does work just for a short time. But it never touches the heart. It just barely goes skin deep. So, no, you know what? It doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't. Does it? It doesn't. And, and why doesn't it? That's what I want to know. 
Why doesn't law work? Law doesn't, law doesn't work not because it's not accurate or right. The fact is it is. I am messy. I do micromanage. Okay? I mean, I, I, I overspend. So law doesn't work not because it's not true. It's true. All right? But here's why law doesn't work. Law doesn't work for the same reason that an x-ray machine will never heal a broken bone. Because an x-ray machine can only identify a broken bone. But it can never cure the broken bone. And law is limited in that it can only tell me what's wrong. It can never empower me to do what's right and proper. The limitation of law is this. It can never get this. It can never produce the obedience it demands. Law can never produce the obedience it demands. In fact, it often incites just the opposite, right? When law gets handed down, what's, there's, a, there's a knee jerk, right? There's resistance. I'm incited to rebel against it because liberty-loving Americans don't like being told what to do. And so when you tell me what to do, well, it makes me now want to do it. I wasn't even thinking about doing it, but now you told me not to do it. Now I want to do it. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7. Listen to Romans 7, verses 7 and 8. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Anybody here in this cycle? The cycle of you know, law giving and then law resisting and then more law giving only turning up the volume and then more law resisting and on and on. It's a cycle. Dizzy. Anybody here dizzy? Is there an alternative? Is there a better way? Yes. Grace. Choosing grace. What does it look like to choose grace? That's question number three. That's what I want to spend the rest of our time with here this morning. I want us to, I want us to consider just some scenarios of choosing grace. Choosing grace. Let's go back to Mr. Notice it all. And the truth is, Mr. Notice-It-All loves his ordered home more than he loves his own wife. She no longer is the object of his affection. Instead, she's become a tool of his domestic order. Or she's an obstacle in the way of it. And so choosing grace means that he needs to love her more than his version of domestic order. And choosing grace means that he needs to quit trying to do God's job at remaking his spouse into the person he wants her to be. And choosing grace means he needs to stop parenting her. And choosing grace means that he needs to pay more attention to monitoring his own heart instead of monitoring her behavior. And choosing grace means that I can't pastor my spouse's soul if I'm obsessed with patrolling my spouse's behavior. That's what choosing grace means. 
I'll tell you what else choosing grace means. Uh, It means learning to believe the best instead of assume the worst. Just Just write that phrase down. Believe the best instead of assume the worst. Let's say your spouse makes a promise. I'm gonna be home at 6.30 tonight. Oh, yes, I'll pick up some milk on the way home. But then they show up late. Or, and then they forget to bring home what they said they were going to bring home. They didn't go to the store. Whatever. So they pro- something was promised, but then when it came to the execution of that which was promised, there was a gap. A gap between what was promised and what actually occurred. Now, at that very moment, if you're the one who's been offended, you have a choice now. What are you going to put in this gap? What are you going to put in that gap? The gap between what you were hoping and what you were promised and so what you're expecting versus what actually took place. And you can either put grace in the gap or you can put law in the gap. And if you put law in the gap, what's likely to happen is that you are going to assume the worst of your spouse. Your spouse is late and you just assume, well, that's intentional. And you've convinced yourself that your spouse would rather be, you know, stuck at work or stuck in traffic than be home on time with you. Or your spouse goes over budget with groceries or whatever. And so you just assume, well, my spouse has no regard for, you know, our budget. And he's always been that way. She'll always be that way. That's just the way it is. I'm stuck. At that point, you've convinced yourself that your spouse is no longer your partner, but rather your adversary. And so many couples get into this place in their marriage, and it's highly toxic. And assumptions grow, and trust is lost, and anger is expressed, and resentment builds up. And before you know it, 15 minutes late to the baseball game turns into a three-day argument. One dinner out with friends that you didn't know about ahead of time unleashes stockpiles of anger that are disproportionate to the offense. People who choose law, they assume the worst, and it affects our attitude. Well, this doesn't surprise me, or I knew this was going to happen, or he's always like this, or if I want to do something right, i got to do it myself. And even when your spouse is on time, law creeps in, right? Well, that was a fluke. Blind squirrel gets an acorn every now and then. You know, when we choose law in marriage, we end up assuming the worst and believing the worst, and then if it turns out okay, we call it a stroke of luck. And then what if both spouses assume the worst? When both spouses choose law, it, it, it becomes a vicious cycle of dysfunctional behavior because when then one spouse fails, the other gets to be right. And in a very sinister way, some like that. They like it when their spouses mess up because it gives, it gives you another reason to be right. And so then you start looking for that and celebrating that. And, and you may win your argument, but you've lost a partner. The fact is, marriages are always, we're always going to have gaps. A healthy marriage is not a marriage with no gaps. That's not the point. The point is, when there is a gap between what we like versus what we get, healthy marriages fill that gap with God's grace. And when I choose God's grace, that leads me to, to do my best to try to find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior. Well, there must be some good reason why. You know, this has happened. Trying to find the most generous explanation and then believe that. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 and 8. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
Love never ends. Choosing grace. Oh, and something else. Choosing grace destroys my need to compete with my spouse. And this shows up in the way we communicate when there's conflict and disagreement. Um, Dallas Willard um, Dallas Willard was a professor of philosophy at uh, University of Southern California. He actually chaired the philosophy department there. Solid, solid Christian man. And during one of his lectures, a listener challenged him uh, with statements that were highly offensive and actually quite incorrect. And Dallas Willard stood there and listened. And after this rant was done, he paused. He thanked the person for their comments. And then he simply moved on to the next question. (laughs) And after class, somebody said, why didn't you counter that student's arguments? And why didn't you put that student in their place? And here's what Dallas Willard said. He said, today... I am practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. Hmm. Do you think that that discipline might benefit us in our marriages, in our relationships? Choosing grace by practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. Hmm. Choosing grace means that we're willing to live with the poverty of our spouse. And keep in mind that poverty is not always economic. A person can be difficult to live with because he is spiritually or socially poor. And the point is that in marriage, your spouse's poverty will become your first-hand experience. And this is when choosing grace will change your attitude. And here's why. See, we tend to see ourselves as rich and our spouse as poor. And the spiritual reality is this. We're both flat broke. We're both bankrupt. We're both poor. And neither of us would make it in a world without grace. And choosing grace means that I will love my spouse by ceasing from that which I know exasperates my spouse. Listen to me. When healthy people discover that they are doing something that exasperates the one they love, healthy people stop doing that because they've chosen grace. And choosing grace means that if my spouse is caught in sin, I won't nag about it, but I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to pretend like it's not there. And I won't assume that it'll just go away by itself. Choosing grace means that I'm going to be broken about it and that I'll patiently point my spouse to God and his promises and the principles in his word. You see, choosing grace knows that mercy is a better path than condemnation, but grace never compromises on what is morally right or true. Sometimes grace means... That an intervention has to take place. And then the last of these scenarios. 
Choosing grace celebrates victories. Yeah, victories. Victories of growth. Victories of health. Victories of maturity. Uh, I mentioned Dallas Willard. Listen to another of his quotes. He once said, One of the signs of maturity are the thoughts that no longer occur to you. Thoughts of hopelessness or thoughts of anger toward your spouse or thoughts of leaving the marriage or thoughts of resentment and bitterness over a spouse that left you or thoughts of regret over things you can't change. These these thoughts no longer occur to you. They don't dominate you. They don't paralyze you. They don't rent space in your brain. And why? Because of grace. You've chosen grace. So which of these scenarios resonates with you? Which I wonder, which speaks into your life? What do you think? And which might you need prayer over? Which might you need prayer over? Happy, healthy, loving, lasting marriages choose grace over law. Church family, the, the stakes are, just, are a lot higher than just your personal well-being, really. If God is the creator and the designer of marriage, then he has designed marriage to go just beyond my personal well-being. The stakes are that through my life, that through our life, others might see the face of Christ where where cross-centered husbands role-play Jesus in the way they treat their wives and Choosing grace means wives that role-play the church. By the way, the church respects her husband, Jesus. And the world sees this dance between the husband and the wife, role-playing Jesus, role-playing the church. And they see this, and they, they get curious. Where... Where do you get that kind of love? And you can't get it from below. It only comes from above. People see your marriage and they see who, not, not why are you so happy, but, well, but more than that, who is your God? I want to worship that God. I want the love you got from that God and the grace you got from that God. I want that God. That's a love that lasts. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I've got a reading for us, and I'd like for us to share in it. Let's all be standing. Oh, it's time. Isn't it? It is time. I'm going to ask you some questions, and at the end, I'll ask you to say, we will. Okay, what am I going to say we will to? Trust me. Will you share your testimonies and strengths and experiences to equip and encourage your brothers and sisters, both married and unmarried, as the collective family of God? And will you make it your aim to labor in prayer and community and personal holiness in your relationships to represent our living God well? both inside and outside these walls? And will you own the responsibility of together creating authentic community, relying solely 
on the saving grace of Jesus Christ as we shine his light to the world. If so, please say, we will. We will. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out. Thank you that you've spilled it over into our lives and help us remember, Lord, that you've given us enough love to share. And help us to know who to love today, right here, right now. And now to him who is able to keep you and your marriage and your family and your very lives from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And God's people said, Amen. If you would like some prayer, I'd be happy to pray with you at uh, at the end of our service along with our elders. And let's go have some cake.